this will be a spicy podcast because I, I, I will say I'm disagreeing. It's something about the big occasion that really brings alive Michi Bacuai. And for the viewers, he scored 21 goals for Belgium in 32 games. They conceded four goals in 10 games. Scoring 37. That's that's a cla- that's a classic at Lehol, we know, but uh, those uh, scoring numbers seem higher than we um, have been accustomed to with at least. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Eurowatch, the show covering all you need to know about next year's Euros. I am with the ever-reliable Ritik Sakar. Ritik, how are you today, my friend? Well, it's a nice sunny day out here in San Francisco, but uh, winter is coming. And it seems like uh, for global football, that is not spelling the right conditions. <laughs> Winter's already arrived there. It has been hissing it down with rain all day so i am extremely jealous of you right now but anyway this episode will be delving into a promising italian side and perhaps a in my opinion more topical belgian team that will both be trying to challenge for the next year's final um this was filmed just to let you guys know this was from before the england game in november we don't know what will happen in belgium versus england tonight it's actually taking place an hour before this recording but Ritik what did you get up to today? Paul I was uh, having a look at the international fixtures uh, that took place I believe yesterday which is Saturday the I believe I believe the 14th of November so that was a very interesting game between France and Portugal Um, and uh, it was it was it was a battle of two of the most favored teams and I would say France eked it out, but uh, deserving winners at the end. And I believe this takes France to the finals of the Nations League. I believe so. I mean, I I had a um, I I did a similar thing yesterday. Actually, I I was watching a uh, an international fixture, but I, I I picked the less exciting one. I picked Sweden v Croatia, and uh, I'll tell you right now, Ritik, I'm not looking forward to the episode where we dis- dissect both of those teams because I almost fell asleep watching them yeah it's such a it's such a double-edged sword uh, with these international friendlies because on one hand we have to remind everybody we're still living in a pandemic and uh the number of people contracting this virus number of important players actually have yeah. been rising quite exponentially Mohamed salah has been uh tested positive for the virus and alex Dellis, for some reason has tested positive again despite having just <laughs> recovered from it so oh, it's no so um, as as we're talking to you about these fixtures, there seems to be a general air of discontent about them. But uh, you know, someone someone's got to talk about them, and for you guys, that someone is Alex and myself. Uh, and on that line, uh, we're gonna look at two contrasting teams um, in these uh, Euros. We're talking about Belgium, and we're talking about Italy. Italy obviously have uh, you know had international success. Belgium have not. But the roles this time have seemed reversed. Belgium seems like the team in ascendancy, whereas Italy are finding a new footing after, um, you know, really qualified for the last Yeah, I can, um, I can go into that it was, it, it, if it, I would it, like. If you'd like, Ritik, I've, been, I've done a quite yeah. extensive research. You'll be able to find an article on this rise uh, for the Italian team uh, this week. Uh, Italy, as some listeners may have known, as, as some readers in the future are going to know about this article, they'll probably remember quite a depressing picture of Gianluigi Buffon sobbing his heart out as Italy failed to qualify for last um, the last World Cup, 
what happened was Italy had to beat Sweden in a playoff. Uh, they had lost the first game 1-0 in Sweden and then they drew the second one 0-0 at home. And there's quite an interesting anecdote I have found actually about what that second game in particular, which is going to sum up what has happened pretty well with Italy. So in that game, it was quite late on. Uh, the manager at the time, who was Luigi Di Biaggio, Biaggio, right? He wanted to make a substitution later, substitution later on, and he looked to Daniele De Rossi, a centre defensive midfielder. De Rossi at that point actually lost it and shouted, uh, shouted one of the assistants, "Why are you bringing me on? Bring on him!" Pointing at Lorenzo Insigne. But nevertheless, Insigne didn't manage to come on, despite being one of the most high-profile attacking forwards in Italy at that time. And of course, it's the failed to score in that game. That was pretty. It was pretty, pretty endemic of what's been happening with the country. Well, what's happened since Antonio Conte had left? It's quite funny. I've recently been reading Andrea Pirlo's autobiography, and he described it. Uh, and, Antonio Conte is one of the best coaches to ever live. He's something else, something charismatic, something a genius. And after Conte left after the 2016 Euros, Italy stuck with their free at the back system. And it was just not really clicking as the World Cup summarised. They were not attacking well. They were losing to teams like Macedonia, I believe it was. They might have drawn against them, to be fair. Um, yeah, it was a draw against Macedonia and some other minnows as we would describe them and then obviously failing to be Sweden. So after this complete embarrassment, Italy turned to former Manchester City manager Roberto Mancini. And in Mancini's first game, Ritik, he did something that was pretty much what, what, exactly what the fans would be crying out for. He, he switched from a back three, the first time Italy would have done so since 2014. And he started Insigne and benched De Rossi. It marked a wonderful change that has seen them arise through uh, these fixtures. They've actually finished unbeaten in their Euro uh, Euro qualifying groups. They finished uh, 30 points. I believe they conceded, if I have it somewhere here, uh, they conceded four goals in 10 games, scoring 37. That's that's a, cla- that's a classic Italy hole we know, but uh, those uh, scoring numbers seem higher than we um, have been accustomed to with Italy. Yeah, Ritik, I was going to say, you said in, our, in your little intro, you said um, you seemed a bit more, what's the word I'm looking for, less positive about the Italian team. What's your thoughts on them? Um, younger, younger team. Um, is what Mancini is sort of looking towards. And um, the balance of the team, and this is something that's not lost on Mancini, is that when you're playing an international tournament, you need you need your experienced guns to really shepherd some of these uh, more younger players. And um, you need uh, you need uh, you need some you need some form of you know older guard. You still have people like Leonardo Bonucci. You still have people like Giorgio Cialini. Um, you probably still have you know experienced hands in, in um, uh, the midfield. But the attacking force in, and the midfield force is fairly new, but fairly promising in terms of you know the kind of talent that is at Italy's disposal. Um, suffered injuries um, to people like Nicolo Zaniolo um, and and those and those will definitely temper the sort of excitement but you've got you've got you've got a you've got a good sense of uh, you know where they might be heading but it might just be a little too soon 
So Italy, I feel, might come alive maybe in the next season um, of play. But for right now, I'm not looking to Italy with much promise. This tournament hopefully will have people like uh, Tonali, Emerson, maybe even Gagliardini. You know, these are the type of people you really want to start punching above their weight. This will be a spicy podcast because I I, can't, I will say I'm disagreeing, but we both have uh, you have quite a well founded base there in terms of some of the youngsters aren't aren't quite ready yet. But the the topics the teams we've picked for this podcast, uh, Italy and Belgium, they are quite interesting because after delving through the tournament tree, which believe me was not much fun, Italy and Belgium will likely face each other in the quarterfinal of the Euros. They'll be as long as they both win their groups, which is pretty projected, they'll come across. The third best placed teams in some of the weaker groups, so I think it'd be the likes of Croatia, possibly. Um, they're likely to face off each- against each other in the quarters. And Ritik, what are, where you're sounding? Do you think Belgium will win? Give me, give me your thoughts on that. Um, I want Belgium to really win, but I <laughs> believe Belgium's 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 problems will come down to the same problems they had in the World Cup. It's those one or two crucial positions in which they were lacking depth. Um, and this, to cost a viewers back, is when um, Belgium, I believe, played France in the semi-finals of the World Cup, while Croatia were busily dispatching off England's hopes. Um, uh, you had uh, Thomas Mounier, who was uh, uh, suspended for the game after picking up another yellow in their quarterfinal game, and you had Nasser Chadli playing at right wing back. And mind you, this is this is a play, this is a position where Roberto Martinez is still favoring. <laughs> him to play but uh uh you you would have seen um if you had watched the game you know Antoine Griezmann Kylian Mbappe sort of doubling up on Charlie sort of bullying him and getting the ball across and this is where um you know it's a it's a nice contrast whereas uh Mancini and Italy have sort of gone back to back four Roberto Martinez has stayed with a back three uh, and he's got the likes of Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen to really rely on these are you know their strongest, most experienced players. These are players who've played, I believe, the last three tournaments. They've been the starting back, uh, center, central defense. Yeah, defense. and Alda has the most minutes in the squad, I believe, right now. Out of the last two years, he's played the most minutes for Belgium in international. And that's not a surprise. He's, um, you know, he's disciplined. He's a short. He's he's a kind of presence you want in front of. Um, uh, Thibaut Courtois, but it's that third centre back spot which Martinez has been um, has been uh, sort of experimenting with. You have you know Leon's Jason Denayer who had a good campaign in the Champions League last season, especially uh, against Real Madrid, and then you have uh, Eta Berlin's Dedrick Boyata. Now either one of these or both of these are being paired with either Vertonghen or Alderweireld. And it's it's working to an extent. Um, you know the times they've played together, Belgium have been strong. But it's knowing that when these uh, wing backs push up, and the wing back strength is quite strong with uh, Timo uh, uh, with uh, Castagna of Leicester. You know, formerly of Atalanta, who's uh, just been going from strength to strength on the right. You have Thomas Munier, who's now become sort of a backup uh, to him, uh, who's playing at Dortmund. And on the left, you have. Um, a very interesting option because uh, Torgan Hazard, the younger brother of uh, Real Madrid's Eden Hazard, has been marshalling that left wing back spot quite well. Even though he plays a left wing for his team Borussia Dortmund, he's been he's he's sort of really taken the defensive responsibility to heart in that position. But if he gets injured, I believe 
you know, Belgium might have one or two problems because they don't have a like-for-like left wing back per se or someone that someone like um someone like uh roberto martinez has really relied on he's played castanio on the left um but it's 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 not something that's you know really been in a short position and what that results in if uh, uh you've seen a lot of back threes plays if they go up to support the front then you have either one of the defensive midfielders tracking back splitting the defense and it's it's where wingers can cause the most havoc yeah, see, with Belgium, I mean, they, they, you know what, they, they strike me similar to England in terms of the way you're speaking, with this established three at the back system, Torgan Hazard staying back, it's going to go one of two ways, same for England. It's either going to work, and they get to keep clean sheets, or it's going to be an embarrassment, because if you don't keep clean sheets, if you don't win these games, I think it's not going to look positive. For, like, I, you mentioned the defence and some of the, like, the, the, you've got some players that are, trying to be experimenters. You've got um, Dedrick Boyata of Hertha Berlin. Uh, I think you've got Kayembi from uh, the Belgian League and Thomas Fockett of Rem. And these players yes. aren't... These players aren't... It, it seems Belgian. They remind me a bit of Roma as well. They've got the old ageing golden generation of Toby Adverlod, um, Jan Vertonghen, even Thomas Van stood in there. And then you've got the... Young... And Hazard. Yeah, and you've got the younger players who... I think a lot of them aren't quite there yet. Like Jeremy Doku, I think he's going to be a fantastic player in 2022, but he is nowhere near ready yet. At Ren, he's not playing the most minutes. The same with uh, Yarri Vashiran at uh, Anderlecht. He's not quite got those minutes, but he could be very positive in the future. And I think with Belgium, you've got to balance this aging generation. Are they still going to be up to it? Like the, the likes of Toby Adeverod and or the sort of younger players like Dedrick, um, not, it's not just younger players, because I'm not going to grip Dedrick Boyata into there or Jason Denea. They are more established, but obviously there's yes. some way off the, the super talents. I, I do, I, I struggle to look. He's also looking, he's, he's also looking at players who haven't had much uh, national team experience who he's trying to, you know, call up, like uh, Hans Vanneken of Club Brugge. Yeah, or, um, or maybe even yeah, as you mentioned, um, uh, Brandon Michelle of Brugge as well. Uh, these are twenty-seven to twenty-eight year olds who don't have a wealth of international experience. I'm sorry. They had, a, I think, there's Vormer as well from Club Brugge. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I do respect that, given minutes to players that might not especially get in. But um, continue what you were saying. Yeah, but so where sort of comes to that point is where I feel like Roberto Martinez now has this advantage is in that central midfield position. Now, before Roberto Martinez um, and maybe just towards the start of his tenure, you had uh, Maruan Fellaini and Rajan Angolan and Axel Witzel. These players sort of playing, you know, that um, midfield triangle. Obviously, uh, Nangolan had a falling out with Martinez, but uh, uh, Maruan Fellaini was proving to be one of Belgium's most reliable players. And honestly, if he was still playing in Europe, he would be picked first. He's doing okay in China, but that's a conversation for another day. But the point I'm coming to is you have uh, Leander, Dendonka, Leander Dendonka of Wolves and Yuri Tielemans of Leicester, who really come up leaps and bounds to take those central midfield positions, which in essence allows Kevin De Bruyne to play you know, a little bit more advanced. And I believe that's where, at least for Belgium, De Bruyne will be the most most crucial because if he's stuck in midfield, especially in a you know more defensive setup in a three-four-two-one, um, you're sort of sacrificing you know a more creative head up front because 
as the viewers might know, Eden Hazard has struggled with fitness quite a bit over these last year and a half. And yeah. yes, he is fit now and he is looking to you know rediscover form. But Kevin De Bruyne has sort of filled in that vacuum. And you have players like him, Carrasco, and uh, a surprise inclusion of uh, Brighton and Hove Albion's Leandro Trossard, one of those more you know intermediate-aged players. Yeah. Uh, I say intermediate-aged, so Trossard is younger than I am. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, not to give too much away, uh, you have these intermediate players who can really sort of fill fill in those gaps. And that sort of brings me to, you know, the more we've talked about the deficiencies and the areas where they could falter. Where are Italy's strengths right now lying? Is it more than just, you know, the uh, novelty of having newer players and people? I'm, I'm glad you've asked that. I'm glad you've asked that. I've um, dissected a lot of Italy's highlights. So they're very clear in terms of this. This is, I think, why I lean a bit more to them rather than Belgium. They're more exciting because their attack is their strength, Ritic. Their, their attack is fantastic. Chiro Immobile has been really good with this side, uh, but he's also managing to alternate with Andrea Bellotti, uh, him and... Immobile are some of the top scorers for this Italian side over the last year and a half. And then even with them two, you've got Moisa Ken coming through. And also you've got Lorenzo Insigne on the left. And you've got Zaniolo coming through on the right, who would have actually missed this tournament if it had taken place this year. He was one of those players that would have completely missed it. So he'll be coming through. But it's, less, it's not just about the youth in top. And I could list these players all day. And like um, Bernadeschi and players like that. They play fantastic together. In fact, um, it, if you really want to do yourself a favour, Italy recently played the Netherlands. Uh, they've played them twice in this UEFA Nations League. And in the first game, they scored one of the best goals you'll ever see. It was one touch play uh, over on the wing from a throw-in. It was lots of little flicks in the air. It reminds you of what Arsenal fans would probably try to imagine as their golden era of at least the 2010s, mm. like that amazing Wilshire goal. Walking it in, Wenger ball. Yes, exactly. And it was finished off by an amazing uh, Stefano Sensei goal. Now, their weaknesses is the defence. Even against a struggling Dutch side, which we'll cover in no time with uh, Frank de Boer uh, struggling at the top of their team, they gave up quite a lot of big chances. They gave up quite big chances against the Netherlands. They've even managed to give away some chances against some of their uh, smaller sides that they've played. Now, that is where it will win or lose them. That's why they're so contrasting with Belgium. Whereas Belgium... They're very unlikely to give away goals. It's just whether they'll score them as much is their issue. Italy, I will bet my life they'll be some of the top scorers in the Euros. But they, if they give these sort of big chances away that they are at the moment, they can be cost. They, they're costly. And I will say before we... Oh, big calls, big calls. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say before we go further into Italy and Belgium, if you're wondering if they'll even get out of the group if they'll finish top, they definitely will, I, I believe. Italy in their group will be facing. Um, I've lost it right now. Oh, they'll be facing. Sorry, Italy will be facing Turkey, Switzerland, and Wales in their group. They're clear favourites there. Now, Belgium, they'll be facing Denmark, Finland, and Russia. They're clearly the favourites in both of their groups. They're they're going to get through. They're probably going to win the group. But as we seem to, as we're disagreeing for the Memphis debate. <laughs> Italy versus Belgium, it is tough. Do you, do you really think they're going to be able to go through them? Because we'll have to agree with a prediction by the end of it, Ritik. Convince me. You think Belgium have got what it takes? I think Belgium have gotten what it takes if on the day they've got the right personnel because 
the three four two, the three four three, or the three four two one is not a formation that many of the players play. But for some reason, it clicks for the Belgian national team, and this sort of brings me to Belgians is in the whole a player who I feel has been very criminally underrated, primarily being judged on one bad season in Manchester United, is Romelu Lukaku. And um, I'll give the viewers this little tasty um, tidbit. In the last four years, Romelu Lukaku has a 95% goals-to-game ratio. <laughs> That's ridiculous. He has been on an absolute tear and this is very interesting because in the in the he's he's a, he's a perfect man for belgium right now because uh at inter milan under antonio conte he's playing under a the previous italian manager he's playing in a back three system and he's playing in a back three system for belgium as well hmm. um under 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 another italian manager <laughs> Roberto martinez so so the parallels are quite good and uh, romelu lukaku sort of can either you know sort of uh, trace back a little bit from the center forward play that you know that nine and a half role he can play from the right wing despite being a left footer has a very mean right cross uh right footed cross and he shows the rest of the attack how he wants the ball played to him by playing the ball to other players themselves and i think uh he uh, if i can uh cast the viewers minds back to um I think it was the match against um, England where they did um, sort of uh, they did lose two one. Yeah, it was undeserved. Yeah, it was it was an undeserved. And Lukaku had a very good game right uh, you know behind Carrasco and De Bruyne. And there's there's a huge amount of trust that's placed on them, especially with um, the mercurial Aiden Hazard being out of the team. Romelu Lukaku has taken the world by the horns and is leading this Red Devils charge. This and I think where... he's. This is where I have to... The, the, I, I completely agree. Lukaku is a superb forward. And I think Courtois is the best goalkeeper in the Euros. And this is where I have to say is my worries. Because if Lukaku goes out, you've got Michy Batshuayi. If Courtois goes out, you've got Simon Mignolet at, uh, I believe, Club Brugge. Or, yes, Club Brugge. If you, or if Kevin De Bruyne... Although you've got Tielemans in there, who has got one of the most minutes. Kevin De Bruyne has only got 480 minutes over the last year and a half for Belgium. If he misses out, that's another big loss. And I just think at Italy, you've got players like Bernadeschi who can step up. Zaniolo who can step up. Moisa Ken who can step up. Um, you've, got all, you've got a lot of depth there. And I, like you said, on the day, if you have, like you started with it, if Belgium have these players set, then I think they've got the pragmatism to get through it. I've watched him a bit recently. They like to commit a nice, dirty tactical foul to slow the game up. Whereas Italy, as always, yeah. Whereas Italy, I like, like I said, they have big deficiencies at the back. They've clearly given up chances still. But if you've got those injuries, if you've got Courtois out, I, and then if you've got De Bruyne out, or if you've, like you've said, you've got Hazard out or Lukaku, if you can get any one of these out, then it makes the game impossible to call. It makes it impossible to call, and this is where Roberto Martinez might have to tactically switch 
to a you know more conservative back four system. But it's interesting you brought up Michi Bachuai. It's something about the big occasion that really brings alive Michi Bachuai. And for the viewers, he scored 21 goals for Belgium in 32 games. That is that's a, good a record to be that's a record to be proud of, even if he retired the next day, because he's got five goals in three games in 2020, four in six in 2020, in 2019, and seven in 10 in 2018 um and it's 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 a very good return and a lot of these goals have come in qualification games in the world cup in um the nations leagues i believe he's only scored um four or five of his goals in friendly games the rest have all been at tournaments this is the kind of player who is similar in lukaku in the sense that he's not the out and out apex uh center forward like uh, uh, like the Brazilian Ronaldo used to be. He's the newer forward who can, you know, fill in in those half spaces, lash out a good shot, force a keeper to fumble, and then get the goal in. Um, and I, I, I believe that even if Lukaku is out, you know, people like Carrasco, people like Mertens, people like um, uh, Batshuayi, these are the kind of players, and you saw in the last World Cup, these are the people who come alive when the occasion comes alive. But that mm. will yet to be seen from the players like Tielemans, players like Tendonka. These are players who are going to get that first real, you know, yeah. big boy taste of the if, of the tournament. And that's going to be where the make or break lies. The fluidity will have to be then the intact, the shortness will have to be then the, the, the defense. Belgium mm. is a team that if everything clicks for a majority period of this time, I can see them winning the whole tournament. But it, okay, it, it that, all comes down to missing those one, two players. Yeah. Yeah, with, with that then, I, I say, I'll, I'll, I'll offer you a proposal then. I say right now, because obviously, even though this debate has been very good, I, I, we can't let it go on forever. I'll give you the offer that if Courtois does not get injured, we can put down in our predictions, which we will post soon, that Belgium will... I, I This is what I can... This is, I think, the most logical one we can go through. And like I said, it's impossible to give it outright. Belgium go through on penalties because Courtois will be the superior keeper and Donnarumma's not quite at that level yet. Would you give that as a fair thing? Or maybe Belgium edge it 1-0 after extra time? I'd, I'd actually go with the former because uh, anything can happen at these international tournaments. And especially with a tournament that's been delayed a whole year, there is a lot more itchiness for a lot of players to prove their spot in the team. I don't really think Roberto Martinez's job is on the line in any form. I believe he's someone who's really taken this J Belgium team more towards their more logical conclusions. And it'll be incumbent upon them to really prove that, yes, we are part of that central cog that needs to go on with this manager for the future. But anything can happen on a given day, and okay. Italy can always punch above their weight, as they have been you know, throughout this entire qualification Nations League process. Yeah, with, for for any Italian fans, just before we wrap up, I'll I'll leave you leave you and Rettig with uh, a, a quote that's come out from Italian legend Dino Zoff, who actually has come out and said, "Well, Roberto Mancini, stay a bit quiet." Zoff has said that uh, the Exuri are among the top four teams in Europe. Mancini's work is remarkable, and Italy can go all the way. Whether you agree with that or not, and whether that will be proven right or not, it will be remained to be seen. However, that's got to be the end of the show. Ritik, what teams do you think we should cover next time? I want to I give a little bit of a highlight to the Scottish national team, who since 1996 have not been in a tournament until now. 
Uh, they kept it late against Serbia. They won in penalties. I want to tell I want to tell the world about why I think Scotland's time might have finally come. What about you, Alex? Who do you feel? That's a, that's a very, uh, very good proposal. I would like to cover, there's a couple of teams in Europe, but the big boys that are a bit topical, and I'd like to go with Germany, because I don't think Joachim Lowe is going to last a, longer than 2020. And that's my hot take for the end of the show. But thanks everyone for listening. This has been a fantastic episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.